OU Insider subscribers, coach, Brian Clinton enthusiasts, people who are upset that Drake Stoops was snubbed from the NFL Combine list. I think both of us here would be in that camp. This is the podcast for you. Welcome to another episode of the Oklahoma Drill, a podcast fueled by OU Insider and the Rivals Network. Brian, on a scale of nine to 10, how snubbed was Drake Stoops for the NFL Combine? And just to give some backstory, the Combine list came out, uh, I think, Monday, yesterday? Tuesday. That's Wednesday. Came out Tuesday. OU did get three players, all offensive linemen, Andrew Rehm, Walter Rouse, and Tyler Guyton, but there was a noticeable absence there. And that is wide receiver Drake Stoops. Brian, on a scale of 9 to 10, how much was he snubbed? 11. (laughs) I respect it. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I think the reason – I won't won't be on the soapbox too long, but I'm going to step up there for just a second. The the main concern with him is, like, the measurables, right? Like, the measurables, the athleticism, like, top-end athleticism. Is he the same – athlete that Xavier Worthy is from Texas. No. Probably not. No. But the production was there. Like he he showed his ability to to be such a big contributor for OU. So like if that's his main concern, then why not give him the opportunity or bring him in? Like why not prove that that's, you know, there was just so many things that could have been alleviated given that opportunity. Um we'll, we'll see. I I'm hoping I'm hoping that the Big 12 combine thing that the Big 12 is doing uh, in Frisco, I hope that he gets an invite. I would assume he'd get an invite there um, and have an opportunity there. But it, it is it is a shame he's not going to be in Indianapolis. Look, it's look, Drake Stoops has been a little overlooked his entire life because, I mean, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the tallest guy. Um, but I, I am surprised just because of his – I'm just surprised because of his production this year and the fact that it came not only at the University of Oklahoma, but for a program that ranked in the top 10 in passing offense and scoring offense. I mean, his stats, I don't think it's actually been talked about enough how crazy his 2023 season was. 84 catches, nearly twice as many as any other receiver on the roster. Just insanity. 84 catches, 962 yards, 10 touchdowns. Average 74 yards per game. The way he played down the stretch over the last second half of the season. Um, I'm I'm surprised. And I'm also I'm surprised if that wasn't enough that the Oklahoma pedigree didn't get him there. But I will say this: he is gonna have OU's Pro Day. There are a lot of scouts that come to OU's Pro Day. Mm-hmm. And I do th- now I, I don't know if he's gonna get drafted. I I I don't know. I'm gonna lean yes. I think he gets picked up late. But sixth or seventh round, maybe, yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, I think it's possible he doesn't get drafted. 
I do. Sure. But I think he's going to get an opportunity. And whether it's being signed as an undrafted free agent or whether that's being signed to a practice squad or something. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to bet against Drake Stoops, man. What if he gets any kind of opportunity? Yeah, I wouldn't. He's, he's going to make a roster. He will, he'll make a roster. He works, he works too hard. There's just not, you know, it sounds, it, it sounds cliche to say the guy's a hard worker and like call that his best attribute, but I don't think people understand how difficult it is to grind at a hundred percent every day. And like, that's the one guy in this program that we've heard consistently over the last couple of years that he works hard every day, regardless, like doesn't matter. And there's value in that. He'll find, he'll find a spot in the NFL. Well, he's proven. I mean, he, he makes contested catches. Um, he's really good in space. He's yeah. he's a really re- reliable receiver. I mean, I think he can slot in as a slot receiver in the NFL pretty easily. Now, like, what does his career look like? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There is it is it is nearly impossible to project how someone's going to play in the NFL. Sure, there's a ton of players you don't see coming. A ton of players you think are going to have big careers and don't. Right? right. He had. I mean, just going off of what he did at the Shrine Bowl. Like, I mean, he consistently was creating a lot of space between him and, and defenders. And, and I mean, a lot of people, there was a lot of buzz about him um, during that. So I, I don't know. I, I think, like you said, until you get on the field with literally the 0.01% of, of athletes at the NFL level, it's hard to know what he's going to look like on a field, but I think he'll get a chance. I do too. And look, while he might have been snubbed, um, oh, you did get three players sent all offensive linemen. Yep. And I think it's going to be, I think the, the combine is going to be important for all three of those guys, but I do. It's, it's going to be interesting. Cause I think all three of those guys are pretty comfortably going to get drafted. And I don't think it's going to be super late for any, for any of those three guys. I think Tyler Guyton could go late first round, early second round, maybe even higher. There's guy, know. there's some buzz that Guyton after what he did in the, in the senior bowl uh, practices that he could, he could be offensive tackle number one on a lot of big boards. So like he could be fringe top 10, top 15 pick, which would be really cool. I mean, he's got, he's got, he looks like a prototypical yep. NFL off offensive yep. tackle. And he moves like a tight end. Like, I mean, he's, He's very athletic at 6'7", 320 pounds. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys that move like that. Well, and unless he unless he bombs somehow, I'm not mm. particularly concerned about how he does. I am going to be interested to see how Rouse and Rame do. Yes. Because I do think there's I do think there is some variance in where they could get drafted. And yeah. I and I think some big combine, some big pre-draft stuff could really boost them, but I also mm-hmm. think if they if they don't really shine, it, it could hurt their stock a little bit. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I'm. I'm really interested with those two. I mean, I expect I expect Tyler Guyton to test well. I'm not really all that concerned with him, as you said. But those two guys, um, it's interesting because I, I think I think Rouse is a guy that's going to absolutely blow people away in the uh, interview process. Like, you know, there's not going to be very many people, if any, that are going to have like the cerebral power that he has. Like he's just a very smart guy. I mean, he was a biomechanical engineer major at Stanford before he came to Oklahoma. So like, like this is a guy that he he knows if there's something that needs to be known, he knows it. Like that that's that's just the kind of guy he is. And then Rame, you know, 
I think it's really interesting how those two, like the dynamic of those two, because I think where, I think where Rouse is going to, you know, quote unquote struggle is maybe the technical side of things, just because he didn't have all of those years under coach Beanbow. Now he obviously made huge strides technically under Beanbow in, in one year, but where he maybe struggles, I think that's where Andrew Rame is going to, is going to, you know, really do well because he is, technically sound he did spend all of those years um developing technically under uh coach Beanbow, who is i mean he's a technician at heart that's what he is so um yeah i i think those guys i think both of those guys should get drafted i, I think i think andrew rain probably has the higher ceiling out of the two as a as a you know draft pick i i think that he could be a guy that works himself up pretty high just considering um, the position one, the position that he's in, uh, you know, being a center and being specifically that I, I think that's going to help him, but, um, it just kind of feels like it's the, the tackle class is, is a little deep for Walter Rouse, um, unless he's able to test really well. So, uh, we'll just, we'll see how it plays out, but yeah, I, I think all three of those guys should get drafted. And I do think Drake Stoops makes it four. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it will, I, I think you're right, though. I think Andrew Rame is going to be the guy I'm looking at the most. Um, and also, you know, he was the successor to Creed Humphrey, who I don't know if you saw this. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl on Sunday. And Creed Humphrey is their starting center. I don't know if I'm telling you. I don't know if this is all news to you. Um, I didn't know until yesterday. I'm kidding. Um, but I do think what Creed Humphrey has been able to do in the NFL, I think also gives some more credibility to what Andrew, I, they're two different players in two different situations, but I, I do wonder if that could be a factor mm -hmm. too with what Humphrey, I mean, they just, they've won back-to-back. -back. He's been the starting center on two on back-to-back -back Super Bowl champions. Yep. Well, and I don't think it's reaching to say that that stamp of approval from Bill Biedenboe is something that NFL scouts value like i mean it's not just it's not just him i mean you've got you've got one morris who's gonna uh, you know grow into a bigger role there but anton harrison looked really good in his first year ben powers is one of the highest paid guards in the country or in the nfl i mean there's guys all over the place that have played for for you know you've got orlando brown obviously there's guys all over the place that have played for for coach beatenbow so yeah I, I think that in and of itself just kind of you know it it gives credence to what he's done. Uh, and yeah, uh, watching Creed Humphrey play center is about as fun as it gets. If you're an offensive line guy, um, he, he likes to, he likes to, to block people into the ground and through the ground. He, he's just fun to watch. Yeah, he is. And, um, obviously huge for him to, to get another Super Bowl ring. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think the, I think the combine is going to be interesting and Hey, just because Drake Stoops wasn't invited, don't quit following that guy. That guy is, he's going to get an opportunity somewhere and no one's going to make the most of an opportunity than Drake Stoops. Yep. That's just, Agreed. that's just the reality. And Brian, while we were talking about football, there's a lot that's been going around. Uh, that's, there's been a lot that's been happening around uh, Norman and OU athletics, a big one being obviously that last week, OU softball opened its season at the Puerto Vallarta Classic in Mexico. I got a few texts asking if I was in Puerto Vallarta 
covering those games? Unfortunately, the answer was no. It looked like a lot of fun. I've been there like 20 years ago. Um, was not able to make it last week. Uh, so I was a little bummed about that. Um, but OU started the season 4-0. Uh, obviously, can't, hard to complain too much about a perfect start to the season. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat Duke and Washington, two top two top 10 teams. I'm really, I was really impressed with both of those teams. Both those, both those games were, were really close. I mean, it was a three Oh win over Duke, but Duke had the bases loaded in the top of the seventh with only one out for OU was able to get out of the jam. Uh, the Washington game obviously went into extra innings before OU scored a, a go ahead run in the eighth. And even look, they, they, they blew out uh, Utah Valley to start the tournament 13, nothing. Um, uh, but even that Long Beach State game, uh, they, I mean, they they yeah. won that game eleven to three, but they were only up one heading into the sixth inning. So I think it was. It's hard to look. It's a long season. It's there's going to be a lot of stuff that changes throughout the year. It's hard to take too much away from opening weekend, but at the same time, I actually think it was a pretty telling opening weekend for Patty Gasso and the Sooners as they look for a fourth straight championship. Brian, I I watched every second of those games. Um, I think there's a lot to discuss just from a broad sense. What was your, what was your immediate takeaway from OU's four games in Puerto Vallarta? Uh, two things. One, if Kelly Maxwell can stay healthy and be part of a true pitching staff, which it does look like Oklahoma has, she could be special. I mean, she just, the way that she controls the circle when she's in it is fantastic. And, um, you just, you're, you're just not going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of production uh, against her, which, you know, obviously bodes well for some, for, for a team like Oklahoma has a great defense. There were some, some error issues, uh, particularly against Washington, but I think those things will get cleaned up. That's just a product of, of moving, moving around and, and some new, uh, some new things going on in the infield and, But um, I, I think my my other takeaway was how it, it almost seemed like in some big situations it was like it was the transfers or it was the freshmen like uh, you know some of these big players coming in um, that that stepped up in, in, in those moments and I think if that's the case for Oklahoma you know what you're going to get out of, I mean, at this point, you know what you're going to get out of Jada Coleman and T.R. Jennings and Alyssa Brito. Like you're, you know what you're going to get out of those players. Uh, we know what we're going to see out of, uh, out of Kenzie Hansen. And, but whenever you add those new faces uh, into that rotation and, and, you know, and Pinkering and, and uh, Ella Parker, like you see these new, these new players uh, start to, to make a name for themselves you know, I, I think that that bodes well for where the team is headed uh, offensively too. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I would be, you know, uh, not, I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic. I think it's safe to be optimistic for what this team can be because last year in the first tournament of the year, you know, we saw Oklahoma maybe not stumble out the gate, but maybe they weren't um, as sharp as, as maybe they had hoped to be with some things and, and, you know, obviously they're rounded into form. So, um, yeah, I, I really like what I saw from the Sooners. And, uh, like you said, it's hard to complain about being four. No. 
Let's talk about that freshman class for a second, man. You you mentioned them because I think that was maybe my biggest takeaway is, and it was interesting to hear Patty Gasso talk uh, last week at media day before the tournament that uh, she's, I mean, she said this freshman class is so impressive. And she said, we've got to get Ella Parker in the lineup. That's one thing I know. And then she referred to Cassidy Pickering as a power hitter who was really impressed uh, d- during fall ball mm-hmm. and, and, leading up to the tournament and boy, I think it'd be hard. Maybe outside of Kelly Maxwell, be hard to find a player that played better and was more impressive than Cassidy Pickering. I mean, that grand slam to in the, in the bottom of the first against Utah Valley, um, that was just insane stuff. I mean, to, to you, you not only your first career bat, you get a grand slam, but you score OU's first runs of the season. It was just insane, but it wasn't just that, man. That's not all Cassidy did. I mean, she left. She got three starts. Um, started primarily in the outfield when she when she started. Um, but Brian, after after four games, she leads the team in batting average. She went five for eleven at the plate, um, and in four games, um, she had seven RBIs. She leads the team in batting average and RBIs. And I know it's just four good? games. It's it's <laughs> you know. You you'd like to see her lead in every category instead of just two, but you know we'll you know we'll give her some grace. Um, I think she's I think she's proven right away. And we we got to talk to Patty Gasso yesterday, and I asked Patty about Cassidy, and she, and the first thing she said was maturity. That's what stands out about her is just maturity. And she's just she was like some freshmen come into the program and they're scared of the upperclassmen or they're they're scared to make mistakes. And she was mm-hmm. like she was like not only is she not scared. Uh, to to get in with the upperclassmen at all, but she said uh, she said Cassidy's going to be a future captain of this team, and she said when I wow. told Cassidy that she was like, yeah, I know, I know, and I just I think Cassidy already has a poise that most underclassmen don't have, and then you throw in Ella Parker who started three games as a designated hitter, had some good hits, yeah, um, she went four twelve at the, or excuse me three of nine at the plate. Um, had some good moments, some tough moments too, which is usually to be expected for a freshman. But it was, I mean, Patty Gasso was was true on her. I mean, she said we've got to get Ella in the lineup. Um, they primarily used uh, Maya Bland um, as a pinch runner, so it'll be interesting to see how involved she is. But but Brian, I I think with Cassidy and Ella, particularly with Cassidy, I mean, I I don't think I don't think they're going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think they're in this lineup. And and the other thing too is it I, Patty is it's clear she's going to tinker a lot with these lineups. I mean, second base I think is still very much up for grabs. Um the outfield is still a lot up for grabs. I mean, they, she was moving around Riley Boone and Jada Coleman because she was trying to fit in whether it was Quincy Lilio or Cassidy or uh, Cassidy Pickering or or mm-hmm. Hannah Core. I think there's still a lot to figure out with this team, but this freshman class already through four games, it's like, no, I think they're they're going to make a big impact this year, man. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree. I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think that those two, one, to have Ella Parker in as a designated hitter, and in three or four games is is a big is a big deal. Um, I think her being her, yes, she was three and nine at the plate, but she also drew four walks. So it's yeah. like you know, this is a this is a a, a freshman who, you know. Uh, she was she's showing not only that she has power at the plate and and as somebody to be feared there but 
also has, you know, the eye and, and she's not, she's not just swinging at every, at everything that she sees. She, you know, she had discipline, she showed some discipline there. And so, uh, good for, for her, but yeah, like you said, I, I don't think that there was, you could make the argument that, that Cassidy Pickering, uh, <clears throat> was just as impressive as what we saw from Kelly Maxwell. Um, this team is, it just, it feels as if Patty Gaston knows what sort of roles she needs from, from each player or from each position, you know, whatever it is. And it just seems like Oklahoma just continues to reload at those positions uh, and get that same kind of output from, from players. And so to see two, two players uh, with such youth step into the role that, that they had, that they did in week one and perform the way they did was really, really impressive. Um, and I'll even go as far as to say, uh, you know, I, I do think that those two have earned the role, you know, at least through, through the, the four games that we've seen, they've certainly earned where they're at in the lineup. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of fun ahead for those two. That pitching staff, man, we've talked about Kelly Maxwell. I mean, she was, she was named big 12 pitcher of the week for her, for her performances in, in Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, she, she pitched 7.2 innings allowed one hit and no runs at all. No runs, four strikeouts, only walked two batters. Um, look, all five pitchers or not all, sorry, not all five. Uh, SJ Garen was the only pitcher in OU staff that didn't get any run. Other, the other five got some, mm-hmm. uh, pitched some innings. Nicole May, um, I thought did some good things. Uh, Patty mentioned that she needs to be a little bit more efficient. Um, so that is going to be something to look yeah. at moving forward because what, because while Nicole May didn't allow any earned runs, um, she did struggle a bit. Um, I think against Washington, um, I actually think the two most impressive pitchers to me, man, were, were Kelly Maxwell and Carly Keeney. I thought Carly Keeney was huge. Yep. I thought she was massive in, um, in 6.2 innings, dude. I mean, she, she allowed three hits, no runs, struck out three batters. She was pivotal in getting OU out of that jam against Duke oh. pivotal Yep, and getting, and getting them out of that jam. But also she was really pivotal against Washington because Kirsten Deal got the start against Washington and struggled a bit early. And Patty even mentioned that. Look, it's don't read too much into Kirsten Deal's struggles. She, yes, she in 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 two point two innings she gave up seven hits and, and three earned runs. But look, it's opening weekend. Kirsten Deal is still really young. Um, don't look, look into that too much. But I think Carly Keeney was huge in getting OU stabilized uh, against Washington. I thought I thought Peyton Mon- uh, Monticelli had some good moments too. I mean, she only pitched three innings. Um, but I thought she had some good uh, some good moments. Only one hit, no runs allowed in three innings. I think we're going to see a lot from this pitching staff as the season moves forward. I think we're going to see all, like those five in particular get a lot of run. But I'm wondering if we if we've already seen some separation. If it's going to be Nicole May, Kelly Maxwell, and Carly Keeney as the three main players, and specifically, I think Kelly Maxwell has already shown that. I mean, she's not going to be she's not going to pitch every inning. They're going to run a lot of pitchers out there, but I think we've already seen that if, if there is a Jordy ball esque player that can lead this staff, like she did last year, I think it's Kelly Maxwell. Yeah. I just, I think she has the most upside and I think OU's going to need someone like her to really step up and assert themselves. I, I don't know what you think, but that, that was my takeaway. No, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that because it does seem like, 
at least over the last several years, if if Oklahoma needs somebody to step up, uh, if they need a if they need an ace, um, they've had one. You know, you had uh, you obviously you had Jordy Ball last year. Uh, and before she really, I mean, she was, you could argue she was the ace her freshman year too, but Hope Troutwine was a big part of that as well, uh, in 2022. And then you go all the way back, uh, to, to 21 and you had G Juarez, uh, like there, there was always that, 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 um, impact pitcher. And I do think that that's what Kelly Maxwell, at least to this point looks like, uh, for, for Oklahoma, she is she's been big 12 pitcher of the, of the week seven times in her career. Now um, she's an all two-time all American at Oklahoma state. Like this is her transferring to Oklahoma would have been headline news. Even if it wasn't from Oklahoma state, like she is, she's one of the top three pitchers in the country and uh, pretty much anybody's circle. So uh, yeah, she's, she's going to be huge for Oklahoma, but I do think the addition of of Carly Keeney is going to be something that doesn't need to be overlooked because that is that's another player who has some experience. Um, you know, Liberty's not a Liberty's not a a second rate softball program. That's a good that's a good softball program that's had plenty of success. And uh she came in and and showed that she was able to hang with with two teams who, I, I mean, I, I think both of those teams, given what we saw, um, I think both of those teams are going to be contenders to end up in Oklahoma city. Uh, Washington in particular was very impressive. Uh, I, I thought that, that they showed uh, plenty of, of resolve there against Oklahoma and, and had them on the ropes for a little while. So uh, for him to, for her to show that against those two teams and, and to have, uh, you know, that kind of success, I think is really good. And then obviously Nicole May is kind of like the old vet in the room. Um, she's been here, she's been around and she's got all the, all the experience that you need. And so those three, I think gives Oklahoma a really strong nucleus. Uh, and then when you throw them out in front of the defense that Oklahoma has and has had for several years, there's just plenty of success to be had. But yeah, I would, I would say in short, I think Kelly Maxwell is probably your ace at this point in time. This episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast is brought to you by Joy Mode. Guys, Joy Mode makes all-natural and science-backed supplements dedicated to helping men perform better across their core functions. It is an alternative to the blue pill, but its worth doesn't start and stop there. It also supports cardiovascular health, athletic performance, and healthy blood pressure. It comes in a palm-sized package just like a pre-workout mix. All you have to do is mix it into 6 to 8 ounces of water, wait 45 minutes, and watch the magic unfold. Here are the game changers. All ingredients have been assessed in peer-reviewed journals, and all ingredients have been studied and researched in humans. You'll never go back to prescription or over-the-counter drugs after trying Joy Mode, which contains clinically supported doses of arginine nitrate, L-citrulline, Panax ginseng, and vitamin C. Want to see your confidence skyrocket? Go to usejoymode.com for 20% off with code INSIDER. That's 20% off and free shipping with code INSIDER at usejoymode.com. Joy Mode, ingredients with integrity. I agree, and I think there's still a lot to figure out with this pitching staff, and I think there's a lot to figure out with with the defense too, like I mentioned earlier. I think we're going to see a lot of shuffling. I mean, uh, Patty tinkered a lot with the lineups in all four games really um in the circle defensively offensively 
Um, she tinkered a lot. And that kind of goes to to a broader discussion for me when, in terms of looking at the rest of the season. Now, they go to Lake Charles, Louisiana this weekend for the Cowgirl Classic. Um, I, I'm interested to see, you know, how much they get tested there. But, Brian, I think they're going to get tested a lot this year. And I think they're going to get tested more than they did last year. Oh, yeah. And part of that is going to be, I think Patty's not going to put not going to put a crazy ton of emphasis on on winning every single game. I think she's going to, I mean, she's set, I mean, almost half this roster are newcomers. So there's still a lot of things to figure out. I think she's going to tinker a lot to try to figure out what she's got with this team, but also the the softball landscape, man. And we talked about it uh, last week. The soft, there are, there are a ton of good softball teams, man. And it's not just Duke and, and Washington who Patty specifically singled out Duke um, as a, as a really good team. Um, but also, I mean, there's new rules in softball to try to speed up the game quicker. They're, they're actually using, you know, radio communication devices. I think there's, there's still, she talked about how much they're trying to work through all that stuff. And then you look at the rest of the landscape. I mean, it wasn't just Duke and Washington, Long Beach state really tested Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And you look around the country at some other teams that I think are legit. And you have to start at Texas, who might have been the most impressive team coming out of opening weekend. I mean, a four and uh four and performance at Stacy at the Stacy Winsberg tournament in California. Uh opened with a 19-0 win over San Diego, got a one-run win over UCLA, then got a 16-1 run or a 16-1 win over San Diego, and then blew out UCLA 16 to nothing in the fourth game so so four games against the same two teams but i mean it's hard to know how much to take away from opening weekend but i've already had a few people tell me like is this just going to be are we just going to be waiting all year for it to be oklahoma texas and the world series final is that what we're gearing towards because i think it could be and i think there's Mm -hmm. other teams that deserve consideration and and deserve looks but texas look good man on both on offensively and defensively pitching, they looked really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they did. I was, I was coming into the season. I was very high on Texas. Uh, just considering what they return. That group of sophomores is incredible. I mean, they're very, very good. They're efficient. Um, and they've got plenty of explosion at the plate and they showed that this week. I mean, they were absolutely dominant they scored, they outscored opponents. What is it here? Yeah, 64 to 5 in their opening week uh, of softball. So, um, and, and the other thing is, is their their team average is 458 right now. Like, I mean, they just, you know, five games is a short, is a short, uh, you know, te- uh, a short scope there, but 10 home runs and 458 is, is not bad. That's pretty stinking good. Um, and, and I think the, the big thing with, with Texas over the last couple of years has been, you know, the offense has been there. But the defense has been questionable. You know, they they got into trouble at times with errors. Uh, and then we saw them make that run in 2022 uh, to, to the Women's College World Series where, you know, they end up facing Oklahoma in the finals. And it was because in postseason, they cleaned the errors up. There weren't They weren't making mistakes. They were making those routine outs that they needed to. Uh, and, and that saw them through, uh, Seattle super regional and saw them all the way into Oklahoma city. And they, they ended up beating out Oklahoma state. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was Oklahoma, Texas, uh, not just in the big 12 championship, but, but at the very end there, um, 
you know, it is a lot to, to project after one weekend, but there's certainly, I, I would even say there wasn't a team more impressive than Texas. Um, you know, if Oklahoma wasn't the tri- the three time defending national champions, um, Texas may have jumped into that top spot, uh, you know, but, but I think Oklahoma obviously has proven that they deserve to be where they're at. Um, yeah, Texas looked really good and they get Tennessee first off first, uh, first thing this week, they've got Tennessee and Stanford, I believe on Friday, both teams That's gonna uh, be fun. In, in a double header. So, um, you know, we'll get to see how, how good that team is. And I mean, man, if they come out, if they come out of that, uh, two and O against those two teams, watch out. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I think you're right. Look, it's, it's early. Um, there's a lot that could happen. There's a lot that could change. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Oklahoma, I mean, they've got, they've got real competition. That's what we've learned after opening weekend. Yeah. And I think I, I just, I think, but I think that makes it fun. I think Absolutely. that makes the season more fun, man. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, I, I just do. well, and it's not just Texas. I mean, Oklahoma State they moved up to eight. They run ruled UCLA too, uh, or mm-hmm. as well. I guess it's a better way of saying that. Um, Oklahoma State looked good. Yeah, BYU went five and zero. Um, had a win over Ole Miss, who was who was a tournament team last year. Um, you know, we, we don't really know what they're going to look like, but that team, all that team's done is win like fifteen of their last eighteen conference championships. So. Uh, they'll be good. And then, you know, UCLA or UCLA, UFC stumbled. UCF, Brian, if you could talk, UCF stumbled <laughs> uh, against UConn. But, you know, they're four and one, and I expect them to round into form by time Oklahoma faces them. So, yeah, this this conference is going to be fun. And and look, another team that, that nobody probably is going to talk about in the Big 12 race uh, right now because they're three and two, Texas Tech looked really good down in Tallahassee. They took Florida State to the wire. I think they lost nine to eight at the end there, but, uh, they, they, they took them to the wire and then they, they split, uh, with, with Charlotte, who is a bracket buster. Um, they, they ended up winning the second game of, of, of that, uh, series with them. So I, I liked where the big 12's at. I think it's, I think it's probably at least in the conversation to be the, the, the most difficult conference, the sec probably still gets the nod right now. Um, but you know, I, I certainly would say that, that having two of the top three and three of the top eight teams in the country certainly isn't something to, to shake a stick at muted. I do that every week. Most of the time I catch it. I didn't catch it this time. This dang button. Everybody take your shot. Jesse <laughs> muted his mic again. <laughs> don't, you don't want to do that. Like not only just for the times that you catch it, but for the times you don't, if you were to drink every time. <laughs> You wouldn't make it through the podcast. <laughs> um, OU goes to the Cowgirl Classic or the Cow- Cowgirl Challenge, excuse me, in Lake Charles, Louisiana this weekend. All of those games will be on ESPN+. Plus. They open the tournament against Central Arkansas at 3.30 on Friday. I actually think that tournament, I think you see who they're going to play, and it's Central Arkansas, it's McNeese State, it's Lamar, and I don't think you get that excited. I actually think this could be sneakily – an interesting weekend for OU. I think all three of those teams, particularly McNeese State, yep, could could really push OU a little bit. And so I think I'm not only, I'm not only looking for how much Patty Gasso tinkers continues to tinker with those lineups, um, especially in the circle. 
uh, I think the player and also the freshman, everything we talked about, I'm going to be curious to, uh, to watch uh, Jada Coleman, who it was not her best tournament last week. Um, and look, the, the standards are incredibly high for the reigning Big 12 player of the year and someone who's been easily one of the best players in softball over, over the last several years. But, I mean, she only batted uh, 188. Um, you know, just went three for 16 at the plate. So I think in a rare, tough tournament for, for Jada Coleman, I think this weekend is prime bounce back opportunity. I think mm-hmm. this is prime. Jada Coleman goes crazy. Is there anything you're looking, you're, you're going to be looking for this weekend? Yeah. That, that McNeese state team that you, um, that you mentioned, they're, they're receiving votes in the, in the latest poll. So, you know, they're at least, uh, a team to, to watch for that reason, but they also take on Baylor uh, on Thursday just before Oklahoma uh, gets a shot at them this weekend. So you'll get a good opportunity to see kind of where they where they line up or where they stand. Um, you know, Baylor's coming off a, a 0-2 weekend against Tennessee. They canceled the third game there. So uh, McNeese State playing them a couple of times will be a good challenge for Oklahoma. But yeah, I think this is, as you just mentioned, uh, this is an opportunity for maybe some of Oklahoma stars that that maybe stumbled out the gate, you know, in, in their own right, um, you know, holding them to the standard that you that you have to. Uh, yeah, it's an opportunity for them to bounce back and and to learn more. Let's learn more about these lineups. Um, you know, as you said, there's a lot of tinkering going on. We don't really know. We don't really know how those 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 young players are going to fit in. I mean, does does do, do we see uh, Cassidy? Pickering get a you know a bigger role and in, in, on the defensive side of the ball. Do we get to see, um, you know, do we get to see that infield kind of gel and find its way, um, and clean up some of those things that that uh, that they they maybe struggled with, and then you know obviously we've seen to this point what Kelly Maxwell is. I want to see her further that um, that space between her and the and the in the group as far as the, as the ACE, but I also, I need to see, I need to see Nicole may be more consistent. Like she needs the efficiency that you talked about there. I mean, yeah, she, she's got a zero ERA. Like she didn't allow a run this last weekend, but I I do think that, that, you know, at least in, in a lot of fans minds um, and to an extent in my mind, she's always kind of toyed with the line of being elite and, and, and maybe not so. And, you know, with this being the last go, if she's going to make that jump, it's going to have to happen, you know, in the regular season at some point, um, you don't make that, you know, unless you're Jordy ball, you don't really make that jump on the postseason. You don't go to the next level. You kind of have to start building towards that. And so, um, I think that she has it in her. She's definitely showed, a lot of uh, promise when it comes to that. So if we could see Nicole may maybe, uh, you know, clean some of that efficiency up and, and be a little more consistent this week, uh, maybe that starts building some confidence for her as they get closer and closer to, to conference play and, and have a couple of more um, challenging tournaments uh, ahead. I think that's fair about Nicole may. I think she's, I think she's always been a little matchup dependent, especially yeah. in the postseason, at least yeah. a little bit. Um, and while I think Kelly Maxwell is going to is the best chance for a real ace, especially in the postseason, oh, he's going to need Nicole May. Yep. And and Patty even said it unprompted that she needed she needs Nicole May to be a little bit more efficient moving forward than she was in, in Puerto Vallarta. But that's all going to come out to 
you know, this, oh, you're still trying to figure out stuff behind their pitchers too. Right? right. So it's, there's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that, oh, you still got to figure out and, and what combinations work best, who needs to be starters, who, who are reliable bench players, all that stuff. But yeah, I think, um, Nicole may, there's still some, there's still some heights that she can reach and that'll be interesting moving forward. Brian, I think to, to wrap this up real quick, uh, you know, I think we, you know, we've talked a little bit about some position group reviews, uh, for OU football. So we started football. We did middle softball. Now we're we're ending with some more football. We're keeping everybody on their toes, Brian. Um, just a just a classic Oklahoma breakdown sandwich. A, con- that's right. a content sandwich. That's right. <laughs> what we can't say Oklahoma breakdown because that is. Oh, uh, I just did it. That again. is o- uh, Oklahoma yeah. drill. Oklahoma okay. drill. Let's, hey, nothing wrong with mentioning the Oklahoma breakdown. It's a great podcast with Teddy Layman or with Teddy Layman <laughs> and uh, well, Gabe I Iker. was. I was listening to, but right before we got on, I was listening to Toby, uh, Toby Keith's rendition of Oklahoma breakdown and that's, yeah. So hats off to him, but also rest in peace, Toby Keith should have mentioned that too as well. But anyways, um, we, uh, just, I think not only to, to review, um, this offensive line, but I think more to, I mean, look, spring football is like a month away. The start of spring football is, is very that's close. incredible isn't it I crazy like, i'm sorry to look like but my goodness i can't believe that yeah wow. it's crazy and i know um i know you've got some content about the offensive line coming up on ouinsider.com um there's been a lot of chatter about the offensive line it's one of the biggest question marks maybe the biggest question mark heading into not only the spring but the mm-hmm. fall and ou's transition to the sec but i'm just curious from your perspective how OU's offensive line did, how you think they performed. If you had to give it a letter grade in 2023, uh, what do you think it would be? And and what are what's what's a question or two you have going into the spring? Because I mean you look at you look at the numbers, which again, the offensive line, it's not like skill position groups or defense, right? There's not a ton of stats to mm-hmm. to really dive into. But this offensive line group as a whole, they allowed 20 sacks. That was eighth out of 14th in the big 12. So middle of the pack and sacks allowed the rushing uh, attack. As we know, it took some time for OU to get going. They finally found their rhythm to end the season. They finished the, they finished the the year seventh in rushing offense. Uh, the passing offense was good. I think the passing block or pass blocking was there um, was there was, was consistent most of the time, but you know, I, I think there's a lot to analyze and also you're miss you're losing some several key pieces that we've already talked about with Guyton and Rame and Rouse and McCade Matower. If you had to give 2023 the offensive line a letter grade, what would you give it? And and what what's what's one or two things you're going to be looking at as as OU gets into the spring? So I struggled with this grade whenever we were doing report cards um earlier in the winter. And I think where I landed, I'd have to look it up. Um, I think where I landed was, was C plus. I think Uh, that's right. uh, And the, the big thing for me was, was that where Oklahoma, you know, a lot of, some of those sacks came in in the Alamo bowl. Um, You know, there was, there was a lot more pressure in the Alamo bowl than what we had seen uh, really prior to that. But I, I thought that Oklahoma pass blocking wise was, was pretty consistent for most of the year. Um, 
the the thing is is like it or not the truth of the matter is you're f- not facing the same level of pass rushing athletes or pass rushers in the Big 12 that you're going to see next year. Mm-hmm. You're just not. On a weekly basis, the guys trying to get after your quarterback next season are going to be better athletes than what you saw in the Big 12. That's that's just I mean it's that that's just the matter of fact. And so I think that, you know, one of my big concerns would be, would be that um, you can't, you can't be middle of the pack, especially with a freshman quarterback um, who who's, you know, I call him a freshman. He'll be a sophomore. Um, but, but somebody who's really making their first uh, trek into being the starter for, for Oklahoma and Jackson Arnold, you need him to be protected. So um, yeah, the, the, the password, the, Pass blocking was pretty consistent, but uh, probably a little more pressure than you would like to have seen, especially from Bill Biedenboe, who, you know, a group under Bill Biedenboe, and and that's probably his strength as a coach, is he, he typically does a really good job um, building uh, pass protectors. That's that's just a strength of his. Um, the run, the, the, the running off, the... The running offense, uh, rushing offense. I don't know why I couldn't think of rushing. The rushing offense, for the first half of the season, you know, you attribute some of the struggles to Gavin Sawchuk not really having it figured out yet, you know, as far as his, his body. And and Javante Barnes wasn't what we expected him to be. Um, you know, you saw uh, you saw Walker, Tawee Walker, uh, come on and, and you know, carve out a role for himself um but i mean if we're looking at that objectively a guy like tawi walker should not be your leading rusher no offense to the guy at all i mean he, he's he's on scholarship at wisconsin now and rightfully so but when you have some of the depth that you do at running back there it was just disappointing like it it, it simply was so some of that struggle can be attributed to the um to, to the running back room but I don't think I, I think I would be lying to myself and to, to everyone listening if I was to say that there weren't plenty of issues with the offensive line early on as well. Um, they weren't creating very much space, if at all, for guys to work with. Um, you know, you, you say, well, you need your running back to to make a make a guy miss. There's no reason why a running back should have guys to make miss in the backfield against Tulsa if you're Oklahoma. Like, you shouldn't have some of the issues that you did along the offensive line. So um, that was that was a concern for me, and it certainly got better after the Texas game. I think in the UCF game is where we saw the tides kind of start to turn a little bit, and then they got it figured out against uh, against BYU and, or Oklahoma State and BYU, and, and they, they kind of, you know, started moving from there forward. Um so I, I think the other thing that I will, will watch for is with this group coming in, lots of transfers, um, some very promising freshmen. Um, there's there's a lot of new faces. I think Troy Everett's really Troy Everett and uh, and Jacob Sexton are really the only two guys that have seen any significant time for Oklahoma that are going to be a part of of this unit next year. So you've got a lot of new faces. They need to find a way to be physical running the football. Um, I I don't think you're going to find success trying to run 
along the outside as much as you may have uh, in the Big 12. The corners and the safeties in the league that you're going into, the linebackers in the league that you're going into on the edge are going to be more physical against the run. That's just how it is. It's a totally new dynamic, a new feel, a new league, and there's going to have to be more north and south um, scheme, and there's going to have to be more aggressive run schemes. Um, I I really hope, and I have no idea how this is going to go, my hope would be that Oklahoma gets away from some of the RPO action stuff that they've been doing so heavily. I, I think agree. there needs to be more called run. You need to have those offensive linemen need to know that they can pull the cap off of this and just go. They need to be know that they can run guys off the ball and not have to worry about being five yards downfield or you know that they need to have that freedom to block downfield and they're going to have to do that because if you don't have a physical running game in the SEC, plain and simple, you're just not going to win very many football games. You have to be physical along the offensive line. Uh, and run the ball well, and that's probably going to be my main concern for them uh, is is if they can find that. Um, I think Fabechi Nwewu and, and Garen Hatchett help. I think those guys have shown the ability to be physical. Uh, it's a mentality, though, and the guys in that room uh, are really going to have to just latch on to that. Um, I think Jacob Sexton was a really good example. He was extremely physical and run-blocking this year, some problems with control, which that just comes with with age, and he'll you know he's he'll be a junior this year. Um, but they just need to have that physical mentality going forward, and uh, you know if they can do that, uh, you know you you got to be happy about it. But for for this year to wrap it up, C plus, I, I give them a C plus. Things got better there towards the end, and the run blocking, um, unfortunately, the pass blocking started to struggle a little bit. So, no, I agree. I think C plus is fair. Um, I think even a C is, is fair. I, I do think it's, and again, it's so weird talking about an OU offense that, that finished the year as one of the most potent in college football, but the, yeah, there's right. still, I think there were just some cracks in the foundation and look yeah. no further than look, no need to talk about the Caden green situation. That's been talked about to death. Um, but look no further than OU has not, I mean, they've added nine guys, nine offensive linemen in their 2024 class. I believe that's yep. right. Four, through the transfer portal um, five in the freshman class um, look no further than OU knows they need reinforcements and they've got, I mean, they've got to replace essentially all of their starters basically. And I think that makes it, but there's so many new faces. They're going to have so many things to work out. You mentioned some of those new guys, what, what, you know, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but what's, whether it's one of the freshman guys, or I guess, I guess a two-part question, which are the returning guys, which you mentioned, whether that's Jacob Sexton or Jake Roberts um, or Troy Everett, which of those guys are you looking at the most in the spring? Which one are you going to be most interested in? And then of the new guys, whether that's a freshman or a transfer portal guy, which, which guy piques your interest the most heading into spring? Um, so for, for returning guys, I guess the way to answer your question there, if, as far as who I'm looking at most, I think Troy Everett, who is who I will be watching most simply because I, the, the interior of that offensive line is probably where my main concern lies. Um, I, I think as far as returning guys, uh, I think Jake Sexton has one of the tackle positions locked down. I, th- I mean, I think he's going to be special. Uh, he showed some flashes last year. 
of uh, being really, really good. And so I, I would expect him to be, um, you know, a guy that you don't necessarily have to watch maybe nearly as much uh, with, with concern, because I think he's going to have one of those spots locked down. Troy Everett just simply didn't have the size to be a guard last year. Uh, and I don't know that he'll be able to hold the weight to, to be a guard at the sec level. So, um, if he can become the center for Oklahoma and lock that position down, I think it would really help, especially considering that he's got a couple of years of experience. He'll have a, another, uh, off season of experience with Oklahoma and that's, that's big. So, uh, that'll be a guy I'm watching as far as the newcomers go, where do we start? Um, you know, I'll, I'll take a, I'll, I'll do, I'll do you one better. I'll, I'll take a transfer and a freshman, um, transfer to Betchi Uh, there's guys at North Texas that pretty much straight up said that was the steal of the transfer portal for anybody, uh, for, for them to get him. He's, they, they say that he's a day one or day two offensive guard. Um, if he can, show that if he can be a road grader for Oklahoma that they need him to be, that would be huge. I mean, absolutely massive. Uh, sure. It would have been nice to have him opposite of Caden green, but if at the very least you can replace the production that you had with a guy that's, you know, still got high upside, that's good. Um, really like that. And then for freshmen, uh, you know, Eugene Brooks is going to get a lot of the, a lot of the buzz. And then obviously Eddie Pierre Louis is going to get a lot of the buzz Daniel Akinkumi is somebody that I feel is severely underrated. Um, he's a three-star uh, by by our standards over at Rivals and and as somebody that, um, you know, maybe a lot of guys overlook. Yeah, he was the number one player in Europe, but what does that really mean? Bobble, you know, all that, all that buzz. The guy has really, really positive. Uh, he, he's got really good physical attributes. If that's somebody that can pick up uh, the playbook quickly. I, I think he he is someone certainly to watch as far as a role player. Um, he 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 is a guy with a high ceiling, and Bill Beanbo is really excited about having him in Norman. So um, this freshman group coming in might be Bill Beanbo's best haul. I, I would say with those three names, um, you know, those are guys that that I expect to have some sort of role immediately, and that's that's saying a lot. Uh, for for a Bill Biedenboe group because he doesn't play true freshman very often. So um, I would expect each of those guys to get a chance. Maybe Gene Brooks the most of the group, but watch watch what the other two guys do, especially Akinkumi since he's also a uh, an early enrollee there with 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 Brooks. So good stuff. No, that's great, and I agree with you. I think I think look it the SEC backdrop is is what puts a lot of pressure on this, but I think. Yes don't think of it that way i think there is reason to be somewhat excited about all of the possibilities that could come from this sure. not to mention that there are true freshmen there's a there's a more direct path for true freshmen to play than there have been in the past now there's cons to that too right there's downsides mm-hmm. but um like there's a lot of ways this could this could work and look they've got they've got a few weeks in the spring and then summer workouts and yep. a few weeks in the fall to get it figured out. This might be the biggest test yet for Bill Beatonbow. Yeah. And there's the the I guess the silver lining with this offensive line group is there's only two guys that are going to exhaust their eligibility this year. And those yeah. are that's Spencer Brown and Michael Tarkin, Tarquin. So everybody else is eligible to come back. Uh that's good. That's good st- you know, that's a really positive thing. Um and you know, I, I think that that there's 
By the Texas game, I think this is going to be another Bill Vedenboe offensive line. I think it's going to be maybe not as much of a strength as you've seen in in, in past years, uh, dating back a couple of years, but I don't think it will be a weakness of the team either. You heard it, folks. Or you heard it, you heard it first, folks. God, I can't talk. That's as good as with me botching that. That's as good of a time as any to bring this podcast to an end a lot of uh, spring football coming in just a few weeks softball already past opening weekend lots more to come on the horizon no one's going to keep you up to date better than me and brian here at the oklahoma drill you can find us over at our youtube channel at ou insider or anywhere you get your podcasts every single thursday to break down everything with football and softball if you're not a VIP member over at OUinsider.com, go ahead and head over there. Why, why would you not be? There's no reason not to be. Look, it's Valentine's Day today. And by the time you hear this, it won't be Valentine's Day. But I like to think Valentine's Day is more of a state of mind than it is a day of the year. Okay, so look, get a VIP subscription for yourself or some, yeah, yeah, somebody you know for Valentine's Day. Again, it's a state of mind. Uh, plenty of content over there, recruiting. Uh, softball, basketball, football, all kinds of stuff. We keep you up to date on all things OU Athletics, stuff that you are not going to want to miss. Until then, Brian and I, we bid you adieu. We'll be back here next week on a new episode of The Oklahoma Drill.